السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد رسول کریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم وبش رحلی صدری ویسرلی امری وحل العقدم السانی قولی ربنا زدنا علما کتاب الغسل a few things about باب نمبر سیونٹین ادا دکر فل مسجد That when a person in the mosque remembers that he is in the state of Janaba, he should leave immediately and should not do tayammu. A few things about this hadith. In this hadith, we learned that the Prophet ﷺ, he was about to lead the people in salah. The iqamah had been said, the sufuf, the rows had been straightened, and he remembered that he had to take ghusl. So what happened? He told the people to stay where they were, to stay in their rows, and he went, took a ghusl, came back, and then he led the people in prayer. So from this hadith we see that if a person is in the masjid and he remembers that he was in the state of Janaba, then he doesn't need to make tayammum where he is. And simply he can just get out of the masjid, take ghusl and return. Now there are a couple of things that we learn over here. First of all, why is it that it would be even thought or that the question would arise that he needs to make tayammum? Why? Why tayammum? Basically, The question arises when a person thinks, is it okay for him to walk through the masjid? He may be sitting, talking to somebody. He may be standing. So that standing, that waiting for a few moments, those steps that he takes through the masjid, can he take those without tahara? Yes, he can. In order to take those steps, in order to get ready to leave from the masjid, he doesn't need to do tayammum. In other words, he can pass through the masjid, he can walk out, he can get ready, it can take him a couple of minutes, it can take him 10-15 minutes even. And for those 10-15 minutes, he doesn't need to make tayammum. He can just simply leave whenever possible for him, the earlier, the better. And this proves that Al-Kharij min al-dham ghayru mudnib That the one who is coming out of a sin is not sinful. Meaning that if a person committed a sin... He committed a mistake. He did something wrong. And he realized, and then he is trying to get out of it. Now, in the process of getting out of the sin, he might be committing more mistakes, but he has to deal with that. Otherwise, how will he come out of it? Like, for example, a person did not know. And in his ignorance, he, let's say, consumed some interest. Okay, or has an interest on or something. He realized And he wants to get out of it as soon as possible. But still, it will take him, okay, a year, maybe a few months, maybe a couple of years. So in those couple of years that he's trying to get out of that state of sinfulness, is he sinful? No, because he is in the process of tawbah. He is in the process of coming out of the sin. So this is a very important point because it happens that a person, his circumstances are not within his control. And he has to, Get out of the sin, commit something wrong. So because that's, you can say it's lesser of the two evils. It's lesser of the two evils. And Allah knows the intention of the person, the striving of a person. So that is forgiven inshallah. Meaning he doesn't need to make tayammum, you know, standing where he is in order to get out of the masjid. No, he doesn't need to. He can just leave. And this would be based on the opinion that a person cannot go to the masjid even in the state of Janaba. All right, But we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he needed the ghusl in order to pray, in order to perform the salah. 
other lessons that we learn in this hadith are the straight rows that the Sahaba would form for salah. Because that is mentioned. وَعُدِّلَتِ الصُّفُوفِ The Sufuf were straightened up. If there was a crowd, if the rows were haphazard, then the Prophet ﷺ would not be able to leave as quickly. Then this hadith also proves that there is no harm if there is a delay between iqama and salah. Because the iqama was pronounced. The rows had been straightened up. And the Prophet ﷺ left, took a ghusl, returned, and then led the prayer. Meaning when he returned, iqama was not pronounced again. So sometimes there can be a delay, 15 minute delay, half an hour delay, even 20 minute delay, 5 minute delay, there is no harm. Bab nafdi yadaini min al-ghusli anil janaba. Nafdi, wiping off, al-yadain, the hands, min al-ghusl, after bath, anil janaba, off janaba. Meaning, wiping the water that's on the body of a person after taking a bath of janaba, wiping off that water using what? Using hands. And when a person will do that, what will happen? The sprinkles will fall off. So is that okay? Yes, it's perfectly fine. حدثنا عبدان قال أخبرنا أبو حمزة قال سمعت الأعمش عن سالم عن كريب عن ابن عباس قال he said قالت ميمونة ميمونة رضي الله عنها she said وضعت للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم غسلا I placed for the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم some water for غسل فسترته بثوب and then I concealed him with a cloth. Why? To screen him. Okay, to screen him. So she placed the water and when he went to take ghusl, what did she do? She put like a cloth, like a curtain, you can say, in order to screen him. فَسَتَرْتُهُ بِثَوْبٍ وَصَبَّ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ Then he poured on his hands, فَغَسَلَهُمَا And he washed both of them. ثُمَّ صَبَّ بِيَمِينِهِ عَلَى شِمَالِهِ Then he poured with his right hand onto his left hand. فَغَسَلَ فَرْجَهُ And then he washed his private part. فَضَرَبَ بِيَدِهِ الْأَرْضَ فَمَسَحَهَا Then he struck his hand on the ground and he wiped it, meaning he wiped clean his hands. ثُمَّ غَسَلَهَا فَمَضْمَضَ Then he washed his hand and then he rinsed his mouth. وَاسْتَنْشَقَ And then he cleaned his nose. وَغَسَلَ وَجْهَهُ وَذِرَاعَيْهِ He washed his face and his arms. ثُمَّ صَبَّ عَلَى رَأْسِهِ Then he poured water on his head. وَأَفَاضَ عَلَى جَسَدِهِ And he poured on his body. ثُمَّ تَنَحَّى فَغَسَلَ قَدَمَيْهِ And then he went aside and washed his feet. فَنَاوَلْتُهُ ثَوْبًا And then I brought him a cloth. Why? So that he could wipe himself dry. فَلَمْ يَأْخُذْهُ But he did not take it. فَانْطَلَقَ Then he went on. وَهُوَ يَنْفُضُ يَدَيْهِ and then he went on wiping off the water with his hands. Meaning it's not necessary to wipe off, to wipe oneself dry with a cloth, with a towel. It's not necessary. You can even just, you know, wipe off the water with your hands. Bab man ayman fil ghusl. The one who began with the right side of his head, okay, bishiqi, with the side, which side? Rasi of his head, al ayman, the right one. Fil ghusl in the bath. Meaning beginning with the right side of the head when taking a bath. حدثنا خلاد بن يحيى قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن نافع عن الحسن بن مسلم عن صفية بنت شيبة عن عائشة قالت she said كنا we used to إذا أصابت إحدانا جنابة when one of us would have جنابة meaning the women أخذت بيدها ثلاثا فوق رأسها she would take بيديها with her hands ثلاثا what does this mean? That she would pour water over her head three times. How? Using both hands. 
سمتا خود بیدی ہے علا شقی ہل ایمن دین شی و ٹیک وتھ ہر ہینڈ علا شقی ہل ایمن دا رائٹ سائڈ آف ہرس میننگ دا رائٹ سائڈ آف ہر ہیڈ دین شی و ٹیک ہولڈ آف دیٹ ہیئر و بیدی ہل اخرا اینڈ وتھ ہر ادر ہینڈ علا شقی ہل ایسر وتھ ہر ادر ہینڈ شی و ٹیک دا لیفٹ سائڈ میننگ شی و پور واٹر آن دا رائٹ سائڈ فرسٹ اینڈ دین آن دا لیفٹ سائڈ سو بیسکلی فرسٹ تھری ٹائمز آن دا ہیڈ اینڈ دین واش دا رائٹ سائڈ فرسٹ and then the left side next why wash in this way because beginning with the right side is what this is sunnah this is mustahab this was the habit of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam this was something that he liked to do we have learned in kitabul wudu that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he would do tayammun meaning he would begin with the right side with the right hand and this is something that he liked to do in all of his affairs okay in the hadith we learned wa fi sha'nihi kullihi In all of his affairs, this is what he would like to do. Now, one thing before we continue, that there were a lot of questions about the ghusl of Janaba and ghusl after Hayd. Remember that this kitab primarily speaks about the ghusl of Janaba. So don't think that this is similar to ghusl of Hayd. There are a few things that a person needs to consider when taking the ghusl of Hayd, which inshallah we will learn about in the next chapter. Primarily it's about washing the hair. That the entire hair, meaning from top to bottom, need to be washed or washing the scalp is sufficient. Inshallah, those details we will learn about in Kitabul Hayd. But over here, what do we learn? That washing the head is necessary. Washing the scalp is necessary. And when a person is doing that, he should begin with the right side first and then he should move on to the left. That with one hand she would take the right side of the head and with the other hand she would take the left side. Why? Because it's convenient. Bab man iqtasala uryanan wahdahu fil khalwa. The one who took a bath, uryanan, naked, wahdahu, when he was alone, meaning himself, fil khalwa, in seclusion. Meaning a person who took a bath while he was naked and he did that because he was in seclusion. Meaning there was nobody there, nobody could see him. Is that permissible? Or does he have to have something on his body to cover his private parts? No, this is permissible. وَمَنْ تَسَتَّرَ And the one who screened himself, meaning he covered his private part with some kind of clothes, or he concealed himself, meaning he had a curtain or something to have absolute privacy, then فَتَّسَتُّرُ أَفْضَلْ Then تَسَتُّرُ Screening oneself is something that is better. So if a person is alone in an open place, such as a huge washroom or even outside, there's nobody on that side, then can a person take a bath without anything on his body? Yes, he can. But as a precaution, if he puts something, meaning if he covers his private parts with a garment or he draws a curtain to screen himself, then that is better. So tasattur basically will be in two ways. One is... that something is worn on the body. Okay? And secondly, tasattur is how? By having a curtain or a cloth or something to have privacy. So tasattur is much better. Why is it better? Because accidents can happen. Right? Accidents can always happen. So for example, if a person is in the washroom, the door is closed and they draw the shower curtain. Drawing the shower curtain is better as opposed to not drawing it. Why? Because you may have forgotten to lock the door and somebody might not realize and they might walk in. 
So yes, the washroom door is closed, but it's better to draw the curtain to have more tasattur. Likewise, if a person is outside, and yes, there's nobody walking there, nobody comes on that side, it's, it's complete uh, privacy in, in that area, but still it is better to have tasattur, meaning to have something on the body when taking a bath. Now this might be irrelevant for us, but for people who lived long time ago or in certain places even today, where private you know, shower stalls are not available, then in that case what's better? Tasattur. And even today, in fact, when you go to, you know, for example, public swimming pool or something, over there you don't have separate shower stalls. Correct? There are no separate shower stalls. If a person wishes to rinse themselves off, then what should they do? Take off their bathing suit? Not at all. They should still have themselves covered. Unfortunately, this is something that happens within Muslims as well. I have seen myself that it's so awkward that you are, it's a shower where everybody's taking a bath and people start taking off their bathing suit one piece after the other and they're washing themselves in public. So this is something that's not correct. A person must have something to cover their awrah. And even if nobody's there, then the sattur is better. Exactly. Even at home you feel secure. When you draw the curtain, you feel more covered. You feel protected. The washroom door may be closed, but there may be windows and somebody could see from outside. So it's always better to have the sattur. Exactly. So what the sattur afdal. وَقَالَ بَحْزٌ عَنْ أَبِيهِ عَنْ جَدِّهِ عَنْ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ اللَّهُ أَحَقُّ Allah is more deserving أَنْ يُسْتَحْيَا مِنْهُ مِنَ النَّاسِ That a person is shy of him than people. This is a hadith, a part of a hadith that Imam Bukhari has mentioned without the complete chain. Why not? Why not the complete chain? Because it does not meet his strict criteria. Imam Bukhari was very strict in accepting hadith. The chain had to be really strong. So this chain was not at his standard, which is why he did not mention the entire hadith, but he mentioned a part of it. But because it is still acceptable near other scholars. And this hadith has been narrated by Tirmidhi and Hakim, and they have regarded it as sahih, as hasan. And in this hadith, what do we learn? That a companion asked the Prophet ﷺ if it was necessary for him to cover his awrah when he was alone. A companion asked if it was necessary for him to cover his awrah when he was alone. So the Prophet ﷺ replied that Allahu ahakku an yustahya minhu minan nas. That even though other people may not be there, so yes, technically you're not required to cover yourself, but Allah is watching you. So Allah deserves more that you are shy of Him. When you become shy of people, you cover yourself. So when you're alone, still Allah is watching you. So keep yourself covered, keep yourself decent. So Allahu ahakku an yustahya minhu minan nas. This hadith, what does it prove? What does it show? That even if a person is taking a bath when he is alone, there is no other person there from whom he is supposed to conceal himself, then still it is better to have the sattur. Which is why we see that the Prophet ﷺ was taking a bath and Maymuna anha, what did she do? She put out a garment in order to screen him. Now, he didn't have to be screened. Maybe there was somebody, Allahu A'lam, but apparently it seems that there was nobody there except his wife. And we see that at other occasions he would take a bath with his wives, but at this occasion what happened? That the screen was put. Why? Because it is better to have the sattr. Somebody might walk in. There might be an accident. So you want to prevent such things. 
حدثنا اسحاق بن نصر قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق عن معمر عن همام بن منبه عن ابي هريره عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال كانت بنو اسرائيل يغتسلون عراتا the bani israel they used to take a bath how uratan naked yanzuru ba'dhum ila ba'd and they would look at one another wa kana musa and musa alayhi salam he would yaghtasilu wahdahu he would take a bath alone faqalu so they said wallahi by allah ma yamna'u musa nothing prevents musa an yaghtasila ma'na that he should take a bath with us illa except annahu adar that he is adar meaning he has scrotal hernia This is some kind of defect in the male private part. So they said that he has some kind of you know, defect in his private part. This is why he does not take a bath with us. He is embarrassed that his aib will be known to us. This is why he takes a bath in seclusion. So what happened? فَذَهَبَ مَرَّةً So he went once, يَغْتَسِلُ In order to take a bath. Who? Musa a.s. And he went alone because he would take a bath in complete privacy. فَوَضَعَ ثَوْبَهُ عَلَى حَجَرٍ And then he put his garment on a rock. So it shows that he was taking a bath when he was concealed by a rock. One, he was alone. Nobody was around. Secondly, he was concealed by a rock. And then he put his clothes on the rock. But what happened? فَفَرَّ الْحَجَرُ بِثَوْبِهِ But the rock, it went away, it ran away with his clothes. فَخَرَجَ مُوسَى So Musa went فِي إِثْرِهِ In its prints, meaning in its traces, behind it. يَقُولُ saying سَوْبِي يَا حَجَر My clothes, O Hajar, O Rock, give me my clothes back. حَتَّى نَظَرَتْ بَنُوا إِسْرَائِيلَ إِلَى مُوسَى Until the Bani Israel, they saw Musa a.s. فَقَالُوا And then they said, وَاللَّهِ مَا بِمُوسَى مِنْ بَأْسِ By Allah, there is no harm with Musa a.s. He doesn't have any defect, no deficiency, nothing. وَأَخَذَ ثَوْبَهُ And he took his clothes فَاتَّفِقَ بِالْحَجَرِ الضَّرْبًا And then he began hitting the rock. فَقَالَ أَبُو هُرَيْرَةِ سَأَبُو هُرَيْرَةِ said وَاللَّهِ بَيْ أَلَّهِ إِنَّهُ لَنَدَبٌ Indeed, it لَنَدَبٌ surely marks بِالْحَجَر on the حَجَر سِتَّةٌ أو سَبَعَةٌ six or seven ضَرْبًا بِالْحَجَر because of the striking on the حَجَر Meaning the rock got six or seven marks because of the striking of Musa a.s. He hit the rock so hard that imagine the rock, it got marks on it. Now Musa a.s. striking was not ordinary. He struck A Coptic, and what happened? That person died. So Allah gave him a lot of strength, because after all, he had to face Fir'aun, and he had to deal with Bani Israel, and he had to use his stick to do so many things. So Allah had given him a lot of strength in his hands. So anyway, what do we learn in this hadith? That there is no harm if a person takes a bath when he is naked, as long as he has privacy. Because Musa a.s. took off all of his clothes, in order to take a bath. And he put his clothes on the rock, which means that he was naked, his private parts were exposed. But he did this where? In privacy, when he was alone. So that is permissible. But the Bani Israel, what would they do? They would take a bath in front of each other, they could see the private parts of each other. And it seems that apparently this was something that was permissible for them. Because if it was haram for them, they would not be allowed. Musa a.s. would have forbidden them. Why do you think it was allowed for them? Think about the circumstances they were in. Where were they? When they were with Musa a.s., where were they? After they left Fir'aun, where were they? In the desert. They didn't have anything to cover their heads with. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent clouds in order to shade them. And they were in the desert. So they didn't have 
anything to conceal themselves with. And they weren't in the desert for a day or two. They were there for 40 years. But Musa a.s., he was even more careful. That even though there was nothing to shield, there was nothing easily available to shield him, still he would go behind a rock in order to take a bath and he would take a bath in seclusion. And also if you think about the Bani Israel, they had many, many wrong things in them. But you have to prioritize. You have to prioritize in Islah. If they couldn't understand Tawheed correctly, you think they could understand Haya correctly? Imagine Allah saved them and they went on making an idol out of gold and worshipping it. They saw people worshipping idols and they said to Musa make idols for us so that we can also worship it. Now if they could not understand Tawheed correctly, how could they understand the concept of Haya correctly? So there may be many wrong things in a person, in a community, but you have to prioritize as to how to do Islah. And this is exactly what happened with the Bani Israel. Just yesterday, my doctors and my mom and this guy were talking about Islam. And he was, I don't know what he was, but he knew a lot about Islam. And my mom kept like, she kept telling him that what you read is wrong. I don't know where you're getting this information from. And he's like, oh, Muslims are extremists, they're this. And I simply, like, I went over and I, you know, I, I told him that, you know, regardless of what you're saying, that Islam is perfect and it may be that the Muslims are not. And then he's like, that's true. I didn't understand that because he was basing Islam on people. So if you tell him that, oh, you're reading the Quran wrong, before you even get that, he doesn't even understand what the concept is. Exactly. Right? Start with the basics first, right? To share, once I was reading a book that discussed all the Sharai issues as to how to take a bath and this, that, and the other, and how it was described that a woman should take a bath was so cumbersome. You would think you don't want to take a bath. And it said that she should uncover one arm and wash it and then cover it. And each body part, wash it and cover it. And I was sitting and wondering that if I'm going to be doing that, I'm not going to be able to do anything else. So subhanAllah, Deen correctly explained and with the sunnah and the, of the Prophet and the hadith, mashallah, it's, it does every single time I'm in class, I find there's some ease somewhere. Yes. So subhanAllah, and you know, you felt guilty because you're not doing what this Maulana or whoever that person was is explaining how a woman should take a bath. Don't bear anything, like keep covering, keep covering. It's impossible to do that. And it depends on the situation that a person is in, right? It depends on the situation. If a person has complete privacy in a closed space, in a closed environment, then it's okay for him to take a bath completely naked. But if there is a chance that somebody might pass, somebody might see, then it's better to conceal. Okay, but the bare minimum. Doesn't mean that a person has to only take one arm out at a time, one leg out at a time and wash it quickly and hide it. No, the bare minimum needs to be covered. See, this is why you make the dua. Allahumma inni a'udhubikam al-khubti wal-khubais. And uh, the angels, I mean, they're always there with a the person writing, taking notes. So, I mean, obviously, this is why the hadith that Allah is more deserving, that you were shy from Him. That no need to prolong it unnecessarily. That a person thinks, oh, nobody's home so I can walk around naked. No, this is not correct. Okay, because Allah is more deserving that you're shy of Him. Now, uh, in this hadith, we also see that the people of Musa salam accused him. But who clarified the position of Musa salam? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, a person is wrongly accused, but Allah knows the reality. 
And Musa alayhi salam did not argue, did not tell them that, no, I'm not, uh, the, I can prove it to you, I can show it to you. No, he didn't do anything. Allah took care of the entire situation. So without any intention on the part of Musa alayhi salam, his reality was made known to his people. And we also see here that a rock ran away with Musa alayhi salam's clothes. Because the qudra of Allah is above everything. If he tells the rock, Amr Kauni, to move, to walk away with the clothes of Musa alayhi salam, the rock will. And in the Quran we learn, ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى إِلَى السَّمَاءِ وَهِيَ دُخَانٌ فَقَالَ لَهَا وَلِلْأَرْضِ اِئْتِيَا طَوْعًا أَوْ كَرْهًا قَالَتَا أَتَيْنَا طَائِعِينَ So even these inanimate things, non-living things, stone, rock, even they do whatever Allah tells them to. Musa a.s. he was not happy at all with the rock running away with his clothes because he hit the rock, he was very upset, he beat the rock and really severely but we see that this was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. So it happens sometimes that a person dislikes something but in reality it is good. When I was in uh, university too, I remember some people telling me that they had the image of practicing people to be either because they're really dumb or because they're really ugly. Hmm. They're like, that's the only reason that a girl would consider wearing hijab. Yeah. There must be something, something wrong with wrong her with hair. Her. This is why she's uh, wearing hijab. Or even the fact that you spend time studying the deen. They think you're dumb. You couldn't do any other like non-Islamic thing. Yeah. And that's why you chose to go into Islam. But in fact, if you think about it, memorizing Quran and doing those things is more difficult. Yeah. But they couldn't comprehend it. And I was amazed about the way their brain thinks. I'm like, subhanAllah. Yeah. I'm like, so in this situation, if a person is you know, being accused, then you know, no need to go and justify what you're doing or prove yourself perfectly normal. No, there's no need to do that. Allah will take care of the entire situation. Also, we see here that Musa a.s. addressed the rock, saying, Thawbi, ya hadr. Why is he talking to the rock? Because the rock did something that a living being would do. So he addressed, he dealt with the rock as if it were a living being, which is why he yelled at it and he also beat it. All the time we, we trust Allah as much as we should, really. And this help came from where he could not have imagined. And he wasn't even worried about it. Yes. But I think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was displeased that my prophet is being blamed for something yes. he doesn't yes. have. So that something happened. Who can imagine if a rock is going to come to your help? A rock? A rock. And something so unusual will happen that a rock will not roll down a hill, but literally, you know, roll over away from you, walk away, run away. Allahu alam how that happened, but it did happen. وعن أبي هريرة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال بين أيوب يغتسل عريانا بين once أيوب أيوب عليه السلام يغتسل he was taking a bath عريانا naked فخر عليه so it fell on him جراد locusts من ذهب of gold when was this when Allah cured him of his disease so he was taking a bath and locusts of gold fell on him from the sky فَجَعْلَ أَيُّوبُ So Ayyub a.s. began يَحْتَثِي He began collecting فِي ثَوْبِهِ In his clothes What? The gold locusts فَنَادَاهُ رَبُّهُ يَا أَيُّوبُ So his Lord called him O Ayyub أَلَمْ أَكُنْ أَغْنَيْتُكَ Have I not made you rich you know without need without desire of عَمَّا تَرَى of that which you see 
Meaning, why are you collecting them quickly? Do you have desire for them? You like them? You want them? Have I not made you free of need of them? That you were sick and I cured you. You had everything. I took that away from you. You still want these things? Qala bala. He said, of course, where is Zatika by your izza, by your honor, walakin, but la ghina bi, there is no richness with me on barakatika, from your baraka. Meaning if something comes from you, if a blessing comes from you, then I am not free of want of it. No. If something comes from you, then I want it. Even if I may have everything. But still, I want what comes from you. وَرَوَاهُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ عَنْ مُوسَى إِبْنِ عُقْبَةَ عَنْ صَفْوَانَ عَنْ عَطَاء إِبْنِ يَسَارِ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ عَنِ نَبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ قَالْ بَيْنَا أَيُّوبُ يَقْتَسِلُ عُرْيَانًا So, again we see in this hadith that the qudra of Allah is above everything. Locusts are not of gold, generally. And likewise, gold does not fall from the sky. But on Ayyub alayhi salam, locusts of gold fell on him. And this was reward for his patience. And this hadith shows to us that no one can ever have enough of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's bestowal, of Allah's blessings, of Allah's gifts. Whatever Allah gives, then what should we do? Take it happily and grateful, even if you do not need it, even if you have enough. But if Allah sends something your way, you did not expect it, you did not intend it, you did not want it, you never thought about it, but something comes your way from Allah, then do not refuse it. Do not reject it. Rather, anything and everything that Allah sends your way, it is worth taking. Because Musa also, what dua did he make? Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. I'm always faqir. I'm always desperately needy of anything good that you can send my way. So no matter how much a person has, if Allah has more to give him, a person is in need of that. A person should take that happily and gratefully. So when these gold locusts fell on Ayyub salam, what did he do? He started collecting them. And in the hadith, what is mentioned that he was Naked at that time. So he was taking a bath, okay, while he was naked. And obviously, being a prophet of Allah, it is understood that he would do that in seclusion. So likewise, if a person is in a state like that, that in seclusion he is taking a bath naked, then is that okay for him? It is perfectly fine for him. thinking sometimes we would have grocery and someone brings the same thing more. Sometimes we would have something at home for our own use and you know that happens sometimes. It's a lot that comes to us and we're like, we don't want any more of this. Well, we shouldn't let that also stale away, get wasted. If Allah has given us more, we can share. Instead of letting it get rotten in the fridge or in the pantry or that thing getting too old in our garages or our basements, we could take it. That's Allah's wealth that He has sent us extra. We have to share it with others. Very true. Because I was reflecting on myself on reading this hadith that many times it happens that if you get something that you are not in need of, like what happens? We treat it like a burden. We're like, now I have to deal with this as well. I already have so much food in the fridge and now this person has brought all this food. What am I going to do? We get upset. We don't want it. Or we say there's too much stuff. There's too much food. And we complain. Rather, we should think of it as Allah's blessing. Barakah. And really make dua to Allah that time, that, oh Allah, 
Tell me what to do with this. Tell me what to do with this. You help me use this, benefit from this in the best way. And then Allah will show you ways as well. But the first thing is acceptance, being grateful, being happy, and then do whatever you can with it. You know, freeze it, for example, if it's food, use it later, or give it to somebody else, or take it to someone else. You know, once it happened with me that I had food in my refrigerator and somebody else brought food, and I asked a friend of mine that, what should I do with all this food? Can you help me with it? And she messaged me that, why don't you, you know, take it to your neighbors if you have any that you can take to. You know, you are on those terms that you can take the food to, or where you're going tomorrow, you can take the food over there. So I was going somewhere the next day, and I took that food with me, and the people were so happy. And I thought, because my husband was also not there, I was like, how am I going to eat all this food myself? The kids are not going to eat it, and it's going to go waste. But I was like, I don't want this food to go waste. It's so good food, right? So whatever Allah sends your way, then take it happily. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends you something that you don't need, it's extra. There is barakah in it, but there's trial in it. Of course. What are you going to do? Hoard it, waste it, put it in the compost, you share it. And then sharing, and Allah gives you more. Somehow I cannot understand still this, comprehend this dynamic. Like you keep on giving and He keeps on giving. And you keep on giving and He just doesn't stop. Subhanallah. So never ever feel that if you give it away, you're going to be poor. Or you're going to have less. something better comes. When you have something extra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells you what to do with it in the Quran. Because the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ, what should we do when we have in spending? So he said, قُلِ yeah. So spend from it. Exactly. How thankful you are. If you are thankful, still you're getting a lot. And then if that is the reward in the dunya, what would be the reward in the akhirah? Yeah. Subhanallah. Imagine. That he had so Lo- much gold. Subhanallah. Locusts of gold. Imagine being rained on a person for his sabr for 18 years. This is just dunya. Imagine the reward in the hereafter. You know, the other day somebody was mentioning to me that um, they know of a couple who wanted to have children for the longest time. And then eventually they, the wife became pregnant and during the pregnancy they forgot to take one of the tests, which is for Down syndrome. They forgot and the doctor didn't push that much. When the baby was born, the baby had Down syndrome. And the parents are upset till today with the doctors that why didn't you push us to take the test? If you had pushed us, we would have aborted the child. And now, we have to deal with this child. It's so difficult. It's so hard. These tests are, you know, are only a means. I mean, it's not necessary that a test will tell you for sure what's going to happen in the future. Allah can change a situation whenever. But I was thinking that, you know, how ungrateful can a person be? How ungrateful human beings can be? We can be. That we want something so desperately. And when Allah gives it to us, we think it's a burden. And if we accept it the way it is, then imagine the reward. Imagine the reward. I mean, this is an opportunity for reward for a person. Great reward. In this dunya and in the akhirah. But, you know, one is that you take it as a burden and the other is that you take it as an excellent opportunity. Because you're mentioning this, I remember that when I was pregnant with my third one, 
Because they have done all the tests for, for, with, my, with the second child and they could not find anything. They could not even test it. Every time the baby was uh, against them, which is he's now, alhamdulillah, a healthy boy. But the third one, when I, when I got pregnant, I had to tell them that I'm going to get pregnant or that I'm trying for. And then when I went to the doctor, he said, oh, you're five months pregnant? I said, yes. He said, okay, then we have to do a very fast a test and everything so your child will not be sick like your other one. Subhanallah, I said, but what it makes sense? You can make any test, but I'm not going to remove this child. Because if this child is for me, as a healthy child, Allah has written it for me, I'm going to have it. If it's not, I'm going to still have it too. So they were pushing me to do the test. I said, it doesn't make sense. You're going to waste the money. You're going to waste all the time. And it doesn't, subhanAllah, my child is not healthy. But alhamdulillah, like if they had done it, what then? I would remove a exactly. baby, subhanAllah. I actually had a non-Muslim friend and she was saying she had the same like hardship. She had like 10 years of marriage and then she finally had a child. And she said when the child was born, the doctor said that they have some sort of disability that they cannot, they're mentally not going to be aging like their well, the age, but they won't be smart. Like they won't be at an average level at all. Mm-hmm. And this was in Canada. And she said they gave her the option to kill, like they, they said to silence the child or something. In Canada, and I was shocked. I'm like, really, this happened? And she said they gave her the permission to do this within the 24-hour period of giving birth. And she said, can you imagine? I'm holding the child in my hand. And they're telling me that, you know, your child is going to suffer. You know, you'll be it will be like a burden on you. So she decided not to do it. And after six, seven years of her child, she's like, you know, my daughter is advanced in her studies. So they were wrong. But she said, can you imagine? And now she's not able to have another child. She was saying to me that, can you imagine if I had let them carry out with this and take the child away? Because science is not always true. And even if it is true, Allah can make miracles happen for us. And there are miracles that we see. Just recently somebody sent me a video of a man who was paralyzed from birth, the entire body except for his tongue. And I think his eyes, I'm not sure. But his tongue for sure. And an Arab man. And the doctor said that he wasn't going to live that long. But he has memorized the entire Qur'an. I mean, they showed him reciting the Qur'an. I was, I mean, he was just lying down, immobile. His tongue was moving. He couldn't even move his head. He was reciting the Qur'an. And what else has he done? Graduated from university with honors. Imagine. So the point over here is, that we've gone on on a very lengthy tangent, but the main point here is that anything that Allah sends a person's way, even if you think you don't need it, even if you think you don't want it, you still cannot have enough of it. You can never have enough of what Allah gives you. So be grateful, be happy. And this is with tangible things and intangible things. Like even for example, the opportunities that Allah gives to a person to do good, to do something in His way, Never think that, okay, I have taught once, I have volunteered once, I have worked for so many years. No, if another opportunity comes, then again, you can never have enough of it. Never. Because this is barakah. It is blessing. One more thing that we learn in this hadith is that it is permissible to increase one's wealth. Ayyub salam, he was collecting the gold locusts in his garment. Why do you think he would do that? So that he could have more gold. Allah gave him double of what he had previously. This is why Allah asked that, I haven't made you rich enough that you don't have the desire for more. But he still wanted more. 
right? Because it was coming from Allah. So this shows that even if a person's needs are fulfilled, he has more than enough, can he increase his wealth? Yes, there is no harm in it. A person must never feel guilty that if I have a job that pays me this much, I should aspire for a job that that brings me more money. I mean, you shouldn't just focus on the money, but also on the work. But if there is an opportunity for more money, an investment or whatever, a person should not feel guilty because it is something that is permissible. Okay, this is something that is permissible. It does not contradict zuhud. It does not contradict wara. Okay, because uh, zuhud is like abstention and wara is like an extreme level of that. So it does not contradict that, especially when it can actually help a person. So for example, if a person thinks I, I should work or I should continue to work so that I can make this much money so that I can go for Umrah every year, I can go for Umrah every two years. Is there anything wrong in thinking like this? Not at all. If a person makes more money so that he can support a cause, you know, give sadaqah, spend on others, is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. There's no harm in increasing one's wealth. As long as it is done in permissible ways. And the focus is not just the money, but the focus is also the work that a person is doing. But if a person knows his weakness, that if I get into this cycle of, you know, making money and more money and more money, then I know my weakness. You know, I'm going to be shopping around all the time. I'm going to be, you know, busy with my house all the time. Then I'm going to be worried about my car all the time, paranoid about this, paranoid about that. It's going to affect my prayers. It's going to affect my, you know, focus on the akhirah then. Of course, you know, he knows himself. Yaqub what did he do? He made camel meat forbidden on himself because he liked it too much. So anyway, these incidents of the prophets, what do they prove? That it is permissible to bathe while naked. Now there is one question that a person may think of, that the previous shara'ir, aren't they abrogated anyway? So why is Imam Bukhari deriving a ruling from the incidents of the previous prophets? Okay, they were on Islam, but aren't their shara'ir, the laws of the previous prophets, aren't they abrogated? Yes. Exactly. That they are not absolutely abrogated. Because if they were completely abrogated, meaning nothing of their shara'ir, of their ways was applicable to us, then Allah would not have mentioned them in the Qur'an. All right? Allah would not have mentioned them. Allah mentioned them in the Quran. Allah tells us, There is ibra, there is lesson. Their incidents or stories are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. So, just something that we should remember that when it comes to the previous shara'ir, there are three cases. One is that what is mentioned in their sharia is also mentioned in ours. It's the same. Then what's the ruling? That you do it. Right? You have to do it. Another scenario is that Something is mentioned in their sharia, but is not mentioned in ours. Then, that as long as it doesn't contradict, meaning there's nothing mentioned in our sharia about it, then we can do it. It doesn't mean that it's mandatory, but we can do it if we were in a situation like that. So for example, over here. Thirdly, the third case is that our sharia contradicts what is mentioned in theirs. Then in that case, we don't do it. Like for example, the Bani Israel used to take a bath naked, looking at each other. They would do it. But we know that in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told the believing men and the believing women to cover their private parts, to protect their private parts. And part of protection is to cover them. We know from the hadith about the awrah of a man, of a woman. So there's contradiction here. So we will not follow the example of Bani Israel over here. Bab at-tasattur fil ghusli nas Screening oneself when doing ghusl in the presence of other people. 
Meaning when a person has to take a bath and people are close by, then he should screen himself. It is not permissible to take a bath before people when a person is naked. And remember the satr is of two types. One is satr al-awra, to cover the awra, and this is wajib. And the second is satr of the complete badan. So for example, having a curtain or something. This is not wajib, but it is afdal. It is better. حدثنا عبد الله بن مسلمة عن مالك عن أبي النضر مولى عمر بن عبيد الله أن أبا مرة مولى أم هانئ بنت أبي طالب أخبره أنه سمع أم هانئ بنت أبي طالب تقول she was saying so أم هاني she said ذهبت إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم I went to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم عام الفتح in the year of the victory فَوَجَدْتُهُ So I found him يَغْتَسِلُ Taking a bath وَفَاطِمَةُ And Fatima تَسْتُرُهُ She was concealing him. فَقَالَ So he said مَنْ هَذِهِ Who is this woman? فَقُلْتُ So I said أنا أم هاني I am أم هاني So in this hadith what do we see? That the Prophet ﷺ was taking a bath but who was covering him? فَاطِمَةُ رَضِيلَ In another hadith we learned that his wife was covering him. Over here we see that his daughter was covering him. So it is something permissible that somebody else can hold you know, a sheet in order to cover you. Which means that you can take a bath in close proximity to another person as long as there is a barrier. There is nothing, feel shy in this, awkward. There's nothing awkward about it because when a person needs to take a bath, he needs to take a bath. And Umhani, who was she? The daughter of Abu Talib. So what does that mean? She was a sister of anhu, the cousin of the Prophet So she came to see him. And the hadith also proves that a person can talk while he or she is undressed. While a person is undressed, he can talk. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he was taking a bath. And he asked, Man hadi? And Umhani replied, It is me. So when it is necessary, a person can. This doesn't mean that a person is sitting on the toilet and talking on the telephone. No. But if there is... A necessity, like somebody's outside the washroom, they're asking how long you will be, or there's a phone call for you, or, or you know, they have to ask a question or something, and you respond, yes, you can. See, the angels don't just write your words, they also write your actions. So, again, Allah is more deserving that you are shy of him. So if there is a need, a person may converse, and we see that the Prophet ﷺ did that. And I mean, if you think about it, was it really necessary for him to ask? Was it? Was it an absolute necessity? It wasn't an absolute necessity. And look at this incident. When did this happen? In the year of the victory. So this was in the much later stages, not at the beginning, later. حدثنا عبدان قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا سفيان عن الأعمش عن سالم بن أبي الجعدي عن كريب عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة قالت سترت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو يغتسل من الجنابة I concealed him, I shielded him while he was taking a bath from Janaba فغسل يديه ثم صب بيمينه على شماله فغسل فرجه We have done this hadith, I'm just going to read the text وما أصابه وما أصابه meaning and that which had reached him meaning the najasa he washed that off ثم مسح بيده على الحائط أو الأرض ثم توضأ وضوءه للصلاة غير رجليه ثم أفاض على جسده الماء ثم تنحى فغسل قدميه تابعه أبو عوانة وابن فضيل في الستر Now we see that Maymuna رضي الله عنها she had also screened him 
But she saw him taking a bath. Because if she had seen him, only then she could have narrated this. So was it okay for her to see him? Yes, because she was his wife. So this means that yes, the satur is better, but not from the spouse. Bab When a woman has ihtilam, meaning when a woman has a sexual dream. Ihtalamat from hulm. And what does hulm mean? Dream. Meaning, and it is, ihtilam is to have a dream that is of sexual nature. So if a woman has a, a wet dream, in other words, a dream that is of sexual nature, and she feels sexual pleasure physically, not in the dream, but physically as well, and upon waking up she finds herself wet, then is she in the state of Janaba? Yes, she is. Because remember, Janaba, we have learned at the beginning of this bab, that it is in two cases. One is on having sexual pleasure. Whether it is on having sexual intercourse, whether it is by other means or whatever, this is what? This is something that enters a person in the state of Janaba, meaning when a person has money. So in other words, having an orgasm. This is what? This is what? Janaba. This is one state. Secondly, sexual intercourse. Whether or not a person has orgasm. Okay, so there are two cases of Janaba. This is talking about the first case. Meaning this is not sexual intercourse. But rather a dream of such a nature. And a woman finds herself wet on waking up. So will this make it necessary for her to take a bath? Yes, it will. Because she is in a state of Janaba. Now, many people find this strange because it is thought that perhaps women cannot have such dreams. No. Wet dreams are as normal for women as they are for men. Men have wet dreams and women also have wet dreams. The frequency may be lower compared to men, but it is something that is perfectly normal for a woman. And if a woman has, if a woman experiences such a dream, then it doesn't mean that she is immodest and unrighteous and, you know, in any sense. No, this is perfectly normal. It doesn't have to do, it doesn't have anything to do with the person's level of iman. This is something that is normal. It happens because woman also has hormonal changes, just as a man does. So obviously this is something that is expected. In the Quran, Allah says, وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ مِنْكُمُ الْحُلُمَ When the children reach Al-Hulum, and children includes male and female. And this is a sign of puberty, because this happens after the age of puberty. And this is something that Allah has created. And this is something that happens in sleep, in a dream, in sleep. And we know that if something happens during sleep, then a person is not conscious, and he is not held accountable for it. The Prophet ﷺ said the pen has been lifted from three, from the one who is sleeping until he wakes up, from the child until he reaches the age of puberty, and from the one who is insane until he comes to his senses. So if a person is sleeping and they have such an experience, then this is not something that they need to feel guilty about. So when a woman has a wet dream, then she needs to take a bath. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن زينب بنت أبي سلمة عن أم سلمة أم المؤمنين أنها قالت جاءت أم سليم أم سليم she came هو وشي امرأة أبي طلحة the wife of Abu Talha you remember the story of their marriage 
Abu Talha, one of the richest men in Medina, he proposed her and she refused because he was not a Muslim at that time. So he became a Muslim. So she came إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت and then she said يا رسول الله O Messenger of Allah إن الله لا يستحي من الحق Indeed Allah is not shy of the truth. He does not hesitate to state the truth. هل على المرأة is there on a woman من غسل any غسل إذا هي when she احتلمت when she has احتلام meaning when she has a wet dream فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم so he replied, Naam, yes. Ida when Ra'at she sees Alma the water, meaning the the discharge. This is very important for us to understand. Naam Ida Ra'atil Ma. So if a woman wakes up more wet than normal and remembers that she had a dream, an experience of such nature, then she has to take a bath. Okay? Then she has to take a bath. There's two things. She had a dream. And secondly, she sees extra wetness. And notice, Alma. Alma, the Al over here is of Ahad, meaning the specific discharge. Not every kind of discharge. But that specific discharge, when she sees it in the morning on waking up, then that means that she is in a state of Janaba. So in other words, a person has to determine what kind of discharge it is before taking any action. Even normally. Just because a woman has discharge does not mean that she needs to take ghusl, she needs to take a bath, she needs to do wudu. No. First, identify what kind of discharge it is. And how do you identify? By going back to its cause, that what caused it. If it was accompanied with sexual pleasure, then what is it? Money. And that requires a ghusl. If it was not caused by sexual pleasure, but rather sexual arousal, Okay, meaning a person desires were there, then in that case it is only madi. And what has to be done? It has to be washed and wudu needs to be done. And if it came without, you know, any sexual pleasure or sexual arousal, then in that case it is just normal vaginal discharge and it doesn't need to be washed. A woman does not need to make wudu. Alright? Meaning she is clean. That discharge is also clean and we have discussed this earlier in great detail. So the Prophet ﷺ specified, Naam إِذَا رَأَتِ الْمَاءِ When she sees the specific discharge and that was accompanied with sexual pleasure, then she will take a bath. And if a person is confused, meaning a woman wakes up and she's not sure if she had a dream of such nature, certainty takes over doubt. Okay? And in this case, what are you certain about? That you didn't. But you are unsure whether it happened or not. So, in other words, when the occurrence of something is doubtful, then its non-occurrence is certain. Remember this principle. We did this in Kitab al-Wudu as well, that when the occurrence of something is doubtful, you're not sure whether it occurred or not. Then, what is certain? It's non-occurrence. Then you will treat it as if it never happened. What's the evidence of this? The hadith in which the man asked the Prophet ﷺ that he would feel as if he passed wind in his prayers all the time. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, don't worry, unless you hear or you smell. So, when you can be certain, then you take action. When you cannot be certain, then you do not take any action. Then you will treat it as if it does not exist. So, if a woman sees a sexual dream, but she is not sure if she had uh, an orgasm, if she experienced sexual pleasure, then in that case, what should she do? She, she doesn't need to take a bath. 
Okay, because if, even if she finds herself a little more wet than normal, then it just may be madhi and not money. She has to remember, she has to be sure that there was sexual pleasure. Likewise, if a woman sees extravaginal discharge but is sure that she didn't have any dream of that sort, then in that case, again, she does not need to take a bath because that liquid, that discharge is not a result of sexual pleasure. For a man, yes, there will be difference in the characteristics of the discharge. But for a woman, not necessarily, because many women can't tell. There might be the smell. Every person knows themselves. So for the characteristics do differ. But for a woman, it is more confusing. So then she has to go on thinking that whether or not there was such a dream, there was such an experience. If there was, then it will be considered as money. If there wasn't, or if, if she is confused, she's not sure, then it will not be considered as money. It doesn't make a difference. If she's in a period, then she is, I mean, or taking a bath is not going to make her tahir anyway. Now, there are other lessons that we learn from this hadith. One is about the good etiquette of Umm Sulaim. When she did not abruptly ask the question, but rather she respectfully prepared the Prophet ﷺ so that he would not be surprised that what kind of a question she's asking. You know, sometimes a question comes to you and you're like just shocked that how could they say such a thing and how could she ask such a thing? So she said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا مِنَ الْحَقِّ Allah is not shy of the truth. And then she asked the question. Another important lesson we learn here is the Prophet ﷺ did not reprimand the woman. He did not reprimand her that how can you ask such a question or how can you experience such a thing? No. He made it clear that in other hadith we learned that Aisha anha she was shy. She was surprised at what happened. How can a woman even have ihtilam? And the Prophet ﷺ said yes. So there is nothing wrong about it, nothing strange about it. Thirdly, we also learned that Allah does not shy away of the truth, meaning He does not hesitate in mentioning it, in clarifying it. So likewise, if the truth has to be clarified, and sometimes some terms may have to be used, some words may have to be used, and they may seem too explicit, again, if it's for a purpose to clarify the truth, there should be no shyness there. But decency must always be there. The next topic is slightly long, so I will leave that inshallah for next time. If there is any question you may ask. Yes. Yeah. The women of the Ansar, they were not shy of learning and they were praised for this. That how good they are, that they are not shy of asking. And obviously they maintain the proper etiquette as well. Now it is best that in such a situation a woman, you know, asks her husband to find out, but if he's not there, then what? Exactly. Many times it happens that, you know, if you ask a question through somebody, by the time the answer gets to you, you're not sure if the question was even asked properly. Of course. This also teaches us that ask those who know. It is permissible for a woman to ask a male scholar even about a question as long as decency, proper etiquette is maintained. Doing wudu once is enough or you have to do it three times? No, no. Once is enough. As well, right? Yeah. So then um, the Prophet said, yeah. So maybe he would have just went home and said, Yes, you have to do ghusl. Yeah. Right? Which is correct. She has to do ghusl, but um, that the, the condition. Yeah, the condition. Exactly.
سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته